Turn to Daniel chapter 9. We are wrapping up our study of Daniel chapter 9 this week. Uh, We'll go in a different direction next week for Easter. And then only three more chapters in uh, the book of Daniel, so we'll be thinking about what to do next. If anybody has any recommendations, feel free to let me know. Follow as we read all of Daniel 9. I'll read verses 1 through 19, and then can I have someone volunteer to read 20 through 27? Andy? All right, good. Daniel 9, starting in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking Him by prayer and pleas for mercy, with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him, And keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel those who are near and those who are far away, and all the lands to which you have driven them, because of the treachery that they have committed against you. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against Him, and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in His laws, which He set before us by His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, Let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. 
O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not. For your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint the most holy place. Know, therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after sixty-two weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decree and is poured out on the desolator. All right. Well, let's try to figure some of that out. Uh, remember, Daniel was taken into exile in Babylon as a young man, and here he is as an old man having spent the majority of his life there. He was reading the book of Jeremiah in God's Word, uh, and he came across these astonishing prophecies, most likely from Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29, which speak directly to the situation that he's now in, uh, where he discovered God's promises that Babylon would be toppled. Remember, he's under Babylonian rule throughout his exile. Um, And not only that Babylon would be toppled, but also that God's people would be taken from Babylon back home into the Promised Land. This was incredible news that he discovered in God's Word. He had longed for this his entire time in exile, praying toward Jerusalem three times a day, we're told in the book, uh, longing to be restored to life in the Promised Land where the right worship of God and fellowship with His people Um, And in Jeremiah, in the prophecy, Daniel discovers that that very thing is upon him. God's people are going home. Remember, it tells us in verse 1, he's reading this in the first year of Darius the Mede. Darius was the one that toppled Babylon. There's now a new world power in place, the Persians, the Medo-Persians. And so he's realizing, hey, all that stuff about 70 years of Babylonian rule, and it's happening And then there's this promise in Jeremiah 29 connected to that about God's people going home. He's realizing it's happening. Um, 
In light of this, his response might seem curious to us at first because we might expect to see jumping and singing and dancing. I mean, this is incredible. This is the most incredible thing he's ever seen with his own eyes. But uh, that's an overstatement. I mean, he did watch God close the lion's mouths, and he's seen some pretty incredible things. But this is remarkable, uh, very good news, gospel news for him and God's people. So instead of singing and dancing, though, we see a prayer of long, deep repentance. Um, And we think that's a little strange, but then we remember that, you know, that's really how God works. I mean, when, when God moves in with the good news into somebody's life, brokenness is one of the first things that we see, right? We come to know our own sin. Uh, we, we come to see things in the light. And if you don't have brokenness, there's a pretty good chance you can't really understand the significance of what God has done for you. They go hand in hand. The light comes on, we get exposed, we see things in the light, we see that we're sinners, we see that we're connected to a bunch of sinners, but we also um, come to understand the good news and and it really sinks in when we receive it in that way. God humbles us in light of the gospel, He breaks us to remold us, and that's really what we see going on here. And from that place, Daniel is... Uh, reaffirmed in the good news. That's what's happening in verses 20 to 23. Gabriel comes to him. He says, hey, when your prayers started coming up, I was sent to give you a message. And he says in verse 23, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell you, you are greatly loved. So isn't that how it works? We come to see things in God's word. We're, We're broken before him. And then we're reminded of His grace and His love and His mercy. And that's exactly what's going on here. Um, And then he says, Therefore, consider the Word and understand the vision. So, last week, uh, we broke down Daniel's prayer into kind of looking at the covenant aspect. He's praying not personal sin, but corporate sin. And uh, this week, I want us to continue to focus a bit on Daniel's prayer And then we're going to conclude by talking about this vision at the end of the chapter. So, um, in terms of his prayer, another angle to consider is this. According to the prophecy, the 70 years of Babylonian rule are completed, and God said that when their time was up, His people are going to go back home. So, in light of this, Daniel prays, that it would be so. He's praying in verses 16 through 19, and that's really what he's doing. He's just, he's heard, he's discovered in God's Word um, that, that that's what's going to happen. And, you know, you're going to topple our enemies. I'm already seeing that. And you're going to take us back home, and I believe that. And he's praying in repentance. But then he's also praying, Lord, act. Do the thing that, you have, that I have just discovered you said you're going to do. Um. Daniel prays that God would act in restoring the desolation of Jerusalem. What does that mean? Well, remember, Jerusalem was destroyed when they were brought into exile. So this just means it was all torn down. The temple was torn down, and he's praying that God would restore them to the holy city and restore the holy city. God has said that it would be so, which means it's as good as done, even though it hasn't happened yet, but it's as good as done. And in response to that, Daniel prays that it would be so. Now, we should not mistake this for Daniel um, not believing the Lord. 
Like he just had to, well, I know what you said there, but let me just ask if you really will. No, I think what we see here is that the promises of God that Daniel finds in the book of Jeremiah are the bedrock of his prayers. And that's really how it works. We believe the promises of God, but we pray to apply the promises of God in real time in our lives. And that's really what's happening in Daniel's life. We should see this as a believing response. He does not have perfect faith, but he has real faith. None of us has perfect faith. None of us will have perfect faith at any time throughout this life. But we have a real faith in our real God. Um, And so we see here a true believer with real faith. Now, having real faith doesn't mean that we don't struggle to apply the promises of God. We see them there. We're coming to understand them. We believe them. We even rejoice in them. How could He love us so much? I believe that He does. I mean, it says it right there. But then we pray in order to apply them to our lives. And it's not automatic. Like, oh, that was easy. Look how much better life is. You know, it's really a struggle to believe and apply. But it's real faith. For example, if you lose a loved one, yes, you believe the hope that we have in Christ eternally. You believe in the sovereignty of God. But applying those promises in real time takes work. And it's the work of faith. It's the work of real faith, trusting in our real God amidst real trial. It's hard. But it's good. And it's, it's true faith in real time. The promises of God become your rock. They become your foundation. If you don't know the Lord in such devastating times, you either rely on flimsy cliches that don't do a whole heck of a lot, or you feel like you don't have a foundation because you don't. Unfortunately, I think many believers resort to cliches in times of um, devastation and, you know, not resting in and building on the, the foundation that is available to us in the promises of God. So what we see here in Daniel is a faithful believer working out his real faith in his real God amidst real trial. This is a believing response. Belief in the promises of God looks like prayer that is built on the promises of God. Alright, but there is uh, something else that we need to learn here as well. And that is that the prayers of God's people are very significant. So, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, the, the fact that God is in absolute control over everyone and everything... We tend to focus on the, act, uh, on the fact that um, the ends are certain. That God has ordained the ends. And that is true. God's will is going to pass and there is nothing that can thwart it. But we must also realize that God has not only sovereignly ordained the ends, He has also sovereignly ordained the means. So, not only is it true that God will save each one of His people, that's the ends, it's also true that God's people will not be saved if His other people don't go and tell them. That's the means. 
I want to show you this from a couple different passages in Romans. So start in Romans chapter 8. Turn to Romans 8. Be looking at Romans 8, verse 30. Romans 8, verse 30 is one of the most um, hopeful passages in the Bible for the Christian. It teaches that all of God's people will be saved in the end. It says, Those whom He predestined, He called. Those whom He called, He also justified or made right with Him. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. So, what we see here is that from the predestination of God's people, which we know took place before the world began, it says that in Ephesians chapter 1, to the glorification of God's people, which is at the end of our lives or the end of times when we go to heaven, all of it is spoken in the past tense in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Which is to say that it's as good as done. Now, that doesn't mean that we're all there yet. None of us in this room are yet glorified, right? We're still here. We're not in heaven yet. But it is spoken in the past tense, just as every other bit of, um, just as every other thing in that verse is, like predestination, which was before the world began. We can understand how, how that's past tense, just like calling, which is when the Lord called us to Himself, For some of us, we were so young, we can't even remember it. For some of us, we were a little bit older. But when God called you to Himself and you became a Christian, uh, justification is when you became right with God by faith in Christ. We understand how all of that is past tense because it's in the past, because we're Christians now, and that's stuff that kind of led up to us becoming Christians. But glorification is in the past tense too. Glorified is what it says. Those He predestined, He called. Those He called, He justified. Those He justified, He glorified. Which means that just as surely as God chose us to be His, just as surely as He called us to Himself in this life, just as surely as He made us right with Him by faith in Christ, we will be glorified. It's as good as done. That's incredibly hopeful. And if you ever struggle with the assurance of your salvation, I would encourage you to go back to Romans 8.30 because there are some incredible promises for you there. It's as good as done. Yet, if you turn the page to Romans 10.14, then we find the following. Starting in the middle of the verse, How are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So, what's the deal here? I mean, is Paul confused when he's writing? Because I thought in chapter 8, he just said that uh, God's people being saved, it's a done deal, glorified, past tense, right? I mean, it's, it's good as done. Now, he did say that, and he's not confused. Paul is simply showing us what I said just a minute ago, that God has not only ordained the ends which is Romans 8.30, He has also ordained the means, which is Romans 10.14. It is true that God's people will be saved. It is true that there is an incredible assurance that is offered us in, passions, in uh, passages like Romans 
And it's also true that he will save his people by one of his other people telling them the gospel. Both are 100% true, and we cannot minimize one for the other. Can't do it. Now that's talking about evangelism, but we can say the same thing about prayer, we might be tempted to think. Well, if God is sovereign, like we say He is, and if He is truly all-powerful and all-knowing and all of these things, then do we really need to pray? I mean, does it really matter? My little feeble prayers that I can't even hardly get out half the time and I don't even sometimes I don't even know what I'm saying or asking for we might ask if God already knows why pray I think there's books by that title you know Um, well some people say well yeah there's still good reason to pray because prayer changes you and you know that's true um, but that's not the most important reason the answer is that God has ordained the ends and He's also ordained the means. And the prayers of His people are incredibly significant means for bringing about His will on the earth. I would even go so far as to say, if God's people don't tell and if God's people don't pray, His will will not come about on the earth. Because He's ordained the ends and He's ordained the means. And so, they're both 100% true, Now, at one time, we might want to emphasize this one to really look at Romans 8.30 and look at the assurance that is offered there. And at one time, we might want to emphasize 10.14 and look at the responsibility that's involved there. But both are true. Um, the, The ends and the means, God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. In other words, when we think about prayer, we need to know that the prayers of God's people are vital to the accomplishment of God's will on the earth. This is what is taught in Revelation 8, 3 through 5. You can turn there if you want, but I'm just going to read it quickly. It says, Another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was giving much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it down on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Now, what is that saying? It teaches that our prayers go up before God just like the incense. There's a censer, and it's got incense, and the smoke rises. You know, incense was a big part of the worship of God um, in in the Old Covenant with the temple and all of that. And our prayers are a delight to God just as the incense puts off a delightful smell. In fact, the most significant aspect of the incense was pointing us forward to passages like this, which teach us about prayer. Okay, the incense is going up, and what's all the significance of that? What's about prayer? God loves our prayers. He delights in our prayers. They smell good to Him. And... um, But that's not the end of the passage because the censer is not only having incense going up, but there is also fire that's thrown down. Right? Well, what is that all about? And and when the when the fire comes down, there are changes, significant changes on the earth. It's pictured in a storm and an earthquake. The message is that our prayers go up to God and He delights in them. But He also uses them to shape history to change things on the earth. He uses them, um, our prayers. God has ordained the ends, His will, His perfect will that no one can change. 
But He's also ordained the means, our prayers. How does that fit together? I don't know. I'm not that smart. And neither are you. But what we have to do is we have to emphasize what the Bible emphasizes and we see God is sovereign. He's in complete control. He has absolute control over everything. His will cannot be thwarted. The ends. And the means. Prayers go up. He throws them down. He uses them to change things on the earth. To shape history. The prayers of God's people are incredibly significant to bring about the will of God. Um, so whether we're talking about prayers for the kingdom to expand and that could be you know globally we, we pray for the Turkish church we pray for other nations um, it could be in our city um, in our homes in, in people's lives in our you know we have friends that, and family members that don't know the Lord and we're praying that the Lord would uh, work in their lives and open their eyes and draw them to Christ do not think that those prayers are hitting the ceiling God delights in them. And in His time, He will throw them down to the earth and use them to change things, to shape history. Don't think, I've been praying about this for like three days and I'm not seeing anything. You know, pray about it for 30 years and and then you might be able to say something. But sometimes He will be desiring to change you to learn patience and perseverance and long-suffering in your prayers. But He also always delights in the prayers of His people, and He will use the prayers of His people to change things. Um, so it could be, you know, prayers for your kids. Um, prayers for other people's kids. You know, we care a lot that these little ones grow up to maturity in Christ and just even at sometimes we're wondering, you know, just like decent human beings would be a good start. <laughs> Your prayers matter. Your prayers matter big time. And God delights in them. He will cherish them. Um, and He will use them significantly for the shaping of your kids. Or even for yourself. You know, we, we see the promises of God. We believe the promises of God. They humble us. We come before the Lord in prayer. And uh, don't think that just because you've been praying about that thing, maybe it's a besetting sin, maybe it's uh, you know a certain fear or anxiety, maybe it's just a, something that you really long for to see happen in our city or somewhere. He loves those prayers. And He will use those prayers. Don't you doubt that. And you know what? Our prayers will outlive us. God is not bound by time. We may pray prayers that God decides to answer 120 years from now in a very significant way that we could have never imagined. And we will be a part of delighting in His shaping of history with our prayers, even if we're not still here. So don't think that those prayers don't matter. They matter. God has ordained the ends as well as the means. Alright, we got to talk about the last little part quickly and um, gosh I don't know if we can I don't think we can sorry that was good enough anyone want to talk about prayer <laughs> okay so in that Romans 8.30 passage yeah. um, I feel like you see clearly the call the justification the glorification but do you think 
maybe he left out sanctification because the three that were listed are 100% God, but sanctification were part of that process too. Yeah. And it's incomplete, isn't it? Right. Um, anybody else feel like their growth in Christ is incomplete? <laughs> you still got a ways to go, do you? Well, you're in good company in this room. Because the point that he's making is all of these things are fixed and final and sure. These are the ordained ends of God. Now, your sanctification is a part of that, but he's speaking this to people that are in the middle of their sanctification, and they're going, it ain't finished. But from that place of being in the middle of your sanctification, your growth in Christ, when you're tempted to despair because you just blew it again in the same way that you've been trying not to blow it for the last seven years, you, you get to that last part of the verse and you go, glorified? What is that? Well, it means that God so loved you that He saved you in Christ and your glorification, your arriving with Him in glory is sure. He will get you home. That's pretty good news. And uh, that's where you, especially, look, we're, especially for people that are trying, which I look out in the room and there's a bunch of people that are trying, okay? You're going to try a lot and fail a lot. And you're going to just keep trying and you're going to keep failing. And we can be tempted to despair. But we go back to promises like that and we just think, my goodness. That's certainly not something that I deserve. But uh, that is what God has communicated to us by His grace that we are safe and He's going to get us there. Yeah. Um, Anything else? Any thoughts? had growth in my prayer life on the New Year's resolution list for I don't know how many years now. Um, something I've just continued to struggle with. But I think Will Savell may have been quoting somebody else in here a couple of years ago, but he said something about prayer that always kind of continues to nudge me back to that. And it was, what would the world look like if God answered all of your prayers? Mm-hmm. Like, and I was like, um, my kids would be pretty well behaved and like, and healthy. That's, that's about it. You know, yeah, and that's right. it just, it was, it was a really good nudge to like go like, how about, how about praying for those missionaries in Uganda? Mm-hmm. How about, mm-hmm. you know, praying mm-hmm. bigger, bolder mm-hmm. kingdom things. And God cares. I know that God cares deeply about the minute things going on in my family and I'd need to take those to him and depend on him for those things but just that little statement of what would the world look like if all my prayers were answered has continued to nudge me back Mm -hmm. to bigger prayers Mm -hmm. and continuing to put it on the resolution list of grow in that area that's a good word this um, idea from Roman Revelation chapter 8 has so significantly impacted my prayer life. And my prayer life is not impressive, but it has made it better. <laughs> you know, Understanding God has ordained the ends, He's ordained the means, and He delights in our prayers. He loves. And you know, there's that, another passage in Romans 8 
about the Spirit interceding. And you don't, it's like, what does that mean? It means that when you have such burdens trapped inside of you and you have no idea how to articulate them, and frankly, you don't even have the strength to try, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you is interpreting all of that and bringing it before the throne. So sometimes it's okay just to be completely overwhelmed before the face of God and not have to articulate it all. And just rest in trusting You think the Holy Spirit who made you knows what's on your heart? Yeah, He does. And He knows exactly how to say it in ways that we really don't. And that's just really encouraging. (laughs) But, um, you know, and prayer is work. It just is. It's hard. Sometimes sometimes it flows naturally. Um, But, you know, if you're going to be intentional about expanding your prayer life, that's hard. Because you're, you're going to have to then prioritize praying for things that aren't generally on your radar. But if you do that consistently, your radar expands. And you do start to care about those things more. And, and just see God at work more, you know? I think like, praying just increases your faith more and more. Mm-hmm. And let me just tell you about an answer prayer of mine. Um, my work has just been has always been crazy. I've never had the same day off ever. And so last year I just started praying. I wanted to do BSF on Wednesday and I was like, please just let it arrange. I'm going to sign up. Please arrange it so I can have off. And I figured I wasn't worried about it. I, I can always switch with somebody, but it's a pain in the neck. i got to make it up. And then the, just certain things happened and my coordinator called me and goes, well, your schedule is changing. You're going to work this day, this day. You're going to have every Wednesday off. Mm. And and it, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, well, it just worked out. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't get glad the glory yeah. immediately. And then the more I thought about it, I was like, I answered it more than I yeah. And I didn't even expect that. Yeah. And so when things like that happen, it just, when you see him answering prayers, when you don't see him answering prayers, it just gives you faith and hope and and even unanswered prayer. I would be probably be married to Kirk Cameron right now. <laughs> That's funny. But you know what else? Answered prayer answered prayer is something uh, you can argue with yourself via your answered prayers. Because there's a lot of prayers that are yet unanswered, aren't there? There are a lot of them out there that we still are like, I'm pretty sure that's hitting the ceiling. It's not. It's really not. And I don't know how God's going to use all that, but I, He delights in them. He loves them. And He's going to use them. And um, you can not only get that from the Scriptures, but you can even argue with yourself, He's done this. <laughs> he does answer my prayers. you know. And I can point to this thing where like, I tried to take the glory, but it was really God's, and you know it's pretty easy to see. So it's good. Any uh, parting shots? Well, the most unlikely of Easter messages next week is going to come from the end of Daniel nine, and actually, as I sit here and think about it, what a great Easter message it's going to be. Uh, you might spend some time this week thinking. How in the world could that 77s and 62 7s and what in the world is going on there? Remember, I don't 
like to get too caught up in all of the number because I think it helps us lose focus on the meat that's there and and what we're uh, really supposed to see. And you might just for fun Google uh, Daniel 9 verses 24 to 27 to see how many charts and graphs and papers and I mean this is one of the most written about four verses in all of the Bible. Don't read everything that you see, but just uh, you know, look at it, and uh, we'll talk about it next week. Let's pray. Father, we are sinners, just like Daniel, just like the people of Israel of old. And um, Lord, we can only pray along with Daniel. It is not um, because of our righteousness, because, but because of your great mercy that we come before you, Lord. And we are so privileged to have seen even more of that mercy fleshed out, more than Daniel could have ever imagined, as we sit here and, and rest secure in Christ. Uh, you have said some amazing things about the security of our salvation Help us to trust you and um, believe you and fight in faith to appropriate these promises that you have made uh, to us. Thank you that we have saints of old like Daniel to follow in that regard. Um, Lord, I do pray that you would focus our minds and hearts on the week ahead. There are many things vying for our attention, but just that you would... Bless us with pockets of opportunity to just be still and reflect on all that we celebrate this week. Um, The life of Christ, the death of Christ on our behalf, and uh, His death-defeating resurrection, the hope of eternal life. We know, as we understand the happenings of Holy Week, that um, all is well, eternally. Uh, with not only with our souls, but uh, with your entire kingdom, Lord, which spans all nations. And uh, we do continue believing that our prayers matter, that we pray, Lord, your kingdom come and your will be done in all nations through every single church that will gather together this week, even if they don't even really love your word, that you would just override them and that the gospel would be clear and powerful and that you would yet again be mighty to save and draw many to Christ and encourage the saints and uh, that you would be glorified throughout this week. Lord, teach us of the significance of our prayers. Might we be encouraged to continue to pray and um, might you build out a uh, mature and lasting prayer life for all of us by your grace. Uh, By the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.